Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. There is a simple procedure that you probably learned in kindergarten that will serve you well today. This procedure taught you what to do if your clothes caught on fire. It consists of three simple steps. Stop, drop, roll. When there is a fire in your life, a problem that you have been unable to stop the spread of, do not try to fight it on your own. Don't run for the roofs. Don't try to fill a bucket or pry the extinguisher off the wall. Stop. Stop all movement. Stop all your attempts to fix it or make it better. Stop and then drop. Drop your defenses. Drop your excuses. Drop all plans. Drop the need to know anything. Drop the need to do anything. Stop and drop to your knees. On your knees, in prayer, is the position that you must assume if you want the fire marshal to put the fire out. God is the fire marshal. And when you roll the situation over into God's hands, you can rest assured that help is on the way. There are some fires in your life that you simply cannot put out. These are the stop, drop, and roll over to God problems. These problems are like fires that will spread unless you do something quick. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair will encourage you to stop, drop, and roll your problems over to God. In faith and with faith, you will not get burned. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Well, Pope Francis announced this week that he has accepted the resignation letter of Bishop Thomas Tobin of Providence, Rhode Island. The letter was submitted on Tobin's 75th birthday, April 1st, as required by canon law. Bishop Tobin is succeeded by Bishop Richard Henning, who was appointed as coadjutor bishop of Providence last November. And Providence is home to more than 600,000 Catholics. You and I both studied with Bishop Tobin. Do you have any, any words of congratulations for him? Well, certainly. Uh, I mean, he's reached the uh, age of retirement, as uh, I will be in another year. And uh, he, um, you know, his successor is, is now in place, uh, Bishop Henning, who's a very fine man. And uh, so it's a nice, smooth transition, and I think we wish him well. But time goes by so fast. Already retirement. Seems like it was recently that we were all in school together. Yes, well, I, it makes me feel for the Holy Father because, you know, at his age to be doing what he's doing is really quite yeah. remarkable. I think, some, you know, for, for the rest of us, everybody's different, you know, but I think when you get to a certain point, it's time to hand on the torch. Today, by the way, is National Lemonade Day. Not Where do you get these things? Well, the parents are interested in having their children have a lemonade stand, you know. It's a day to give youth an opportunity to experience the taste of success is what it's all about, I guess. But in, in any case, my question to you is, did, I never did have a lemonade stand. Did you? Uh, no, I can't say I did. Okay. But I do like lemonade. How about you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Today, by the way, is thinking about summer vacation is National Tourism Day, uh, a perfect day to start thinking about summer vacation. If you had to pick one place in Connecticut that was a must-see, what would it be, do you think? 
a must-see in you, Connecticut. That you might recommend to somebody interested in vacationing in Connecticut. Well, I think that depends on people's uh, likes and tastes. Uh, you know, I think uh, I, all I can say is there are many nice cultural things to see in uh, in the city of Hartford itself and New Haven and so many other places. I'm a little bit at a loss to tell you where. I'm really giving you a hard time you to are, do so. Wednesday is Donated Day's Wages to Charity Day. People are asked to give a day's pay to a charity of their choice or if unable to afford a donation, to donate their time to a charity. Wednesday is the day to do it. Do you think a day like this can generate support for perhaps our churches or schools or nonprofits in the archdiocese? Well, I would hope so. There are many occasions, you know, there's uh, all these giving days that are out there, and uh, I think it's important for people to make use of them, certainly. Uh, Giving a gift of not only of money, but your time, your talent. I think that's extremely important. Now, what about the Archbishop's Annual Appeal? Oh, well, of course. goes without saying. That I much appreciate a gift uh, to the Archbishop's Annual Appeal. The Archbishop's Annual Appeal, which, of course, is not just about the Archdiocese, but it's about a lot of charities that we contribute to uh, in the name of our Catholic people who are generous to the appeal. I'm wondering if uh, parents today realize how important it is to teach their children a sense of generosity, especially toward the church. I, I can remember going to church with my parents as a very young boy. And at the collection time, my dad would hand me um, some change that I could throw in the basket so that I felt as if I was giving to the church. Well, certainly stewardship and uh, generosity, including a generosity to the church, uh, because it's one of the precepts of the church that you, know, you have to contribute to the support of the community and the church. Uh, community, I mean. And uh, yeah, when we were kids, we had our little little envelopes yeah. and uh, we contributed uh, our dimes uh, to the missions at different times. Of course, a dime doesn't go very far any war- anymore. But uh, no, that's very important uh, to, to uh, instill that in young people and for all of us to practice it. Also on Wednesday, you're going to be blessing nurses Yes, at St. Francis Hospital. I'm often asked to uh, to do this. Uh, Bishop Betancourt and I both are, are involved uh, in that. And uh, especially today, you know, when the medical profession has been under such pressure after uh, during and after COVID, uh, they very often ask me to come and, and do a blessing. I do a greeting on the a microphone system, the public address system to the nurses, and we have a little uh, expression of appreciation and a prayer. So that's I think it's very important to do that. We don't want to forget the great contribution that nurses make to uh, the medical profession, for sure. Well, I think some, you know, one of the problems there, as I understand it, I perhaps I'm wrong, but that, you know, after COVID, some of these uh, helping professions, including nurses, are so stressed out that they're finding mm-hmm. it difficult to continue, and other people are not going into that line of helping profession. And so there's a real, you know, we're still feeling the effects of COVID in so many professions and jobs that people are drifting away from or they, they don't want to engage. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't judge why people are doing this, uh, but, you know, it seems to me that, especially during this month of May, you know, the, May 1st was the Feast of St. Joseph the Workman, and that feast day in the church was, is dedicated to the dignity of human work and the importance of human work. Obviously, the carpentry of St. Joseph makes him a model uh, and, you know, Jesus himself uh, traditionally understood to have worked in his father's uh, uh, occupation of carpentry. 
these th- this kind of thing is important. It's there's a great dignity to human work, and it's part of our, our nature to to want to contribute something, to do something, uh, either intellectually or manually. And yet today, so many people are kind of adrift when it comes to this, and that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing spiritually or socially or even psychologically. You know, we all have to have a way to. Uh, express ourselves and to engage ourselves in the world uh, that does something, that contributes something. So whether it's nursing or any other work that we do, you know, I think at St. Paul that says, whatever we do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we we know we're working not just for this world, but we're working for God. And that makes all the difference. Well said. Well said. Thursday is a great day because it's eat what you want day. It's a day to ignore all those on-again, off-again warnings about diets and restrictions. If you had to select one food item that is taboo to you to eat on Thursday, what would it be? Oh, gee, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, uh, I try uh, in my uh, advancing years to be careful that I don't eat too much. I, I... Well, let's talk about the road to happiness in life. And, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis drawn from some of his writings. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from the Pope's general audience, delivered on November 30th of 2016, and is called, There Are As Many Different Ways to Pray As There Are People. The Pope says, There are many different ways to pray for our neighbor. All of them are valid and accepted by God if they come from the heart. I am thinking in particular of the mothers and fathers who bless their children in the morning and the evening. This is still a practice in some families. Blessing a child is a kind of prayer. I'm also thinking of the prayers for the sick when we visit them and pray for them, of silent intercession, at times tearful, in the many different situations that require prayer. Archbishop, your thoughts. Yes, well, the power of prayer, you know, we do believe... uh, Scripture says, pray, pray without ceasing, pray always. So everything we do should be in the context of, well, prayer is defined as raising your mind and heart to God. So whatever you're doing, uh, you should be raising your heart and your mind to God, not necessarily uh, in concepts of, obviously, when you're living your everyday life, you can't be thinking about God directly. But if you have the intention to offer what you, who you are and what you're doing, uh, to offer that to God, uh, uh, that, that is a form of prayer. Now, we have to, be, we have to express it also, not just uh, kind of put it aside, but uh, throughout the day, the idea of, of, of saying a, a brief word to God, uh, to ask a blessing or to ask help, not only for ourselves, but for someone else or the, the situation or the work that we're trying to do to ask God to bless it and help us to know what is, how to do this well. Those are all things that make for a prayerful life and that we all need to do that. So, you know, what is the title of the Pope's little talk here? There are as many different ways to pray as there are people. I'm not sure that uh, you'd say that every person has a unique way to pray because we all uh, have a common thing rooted in Scripture and tradition, what God has revealed to us about how to pray. But certainly the circumstances of each person is different. Uh, and what they encounter is unique uh, to them and to no other in a given moment. And so we raise our minds and hearts to God. The Holy Father says that mothers and fathers who bless their children in the morning and the evening is a prayer. Uh, I'm wondering, what age do you think it's appropriate to start instructing children as to prayer, how to pray? Well, this is a very interesting question you're asking that has come to the fore recently here in the Archdiocese. Our... uh, 
you know, a department uh, office for uh, Catholic education and formation, uh, there's a concern there that people, uh, young parents are bringing their children for baptism, and then we never see them again. Mm. And when they come for religious instruction or Catholic school, a child doesn't even know what a crucifix is or a picture of Jesus. And so we're trying to create a program, and we will, uh, for people, young people, well, people of any age, really, who bring their child in for a baptism, to have a couple uh, sessions with them about um, the fundamentals of of Catholic life. And I don't mean uh, the catechism. I don't, I mean, not directly. I don't mean instruction about facts about the faith, but little things about a Catholic culture and devotion. And hopefully the idea is that these parents then will understand that there are things they have to impart to their children that kind of bring them into a, a world of, of Catholic faith and prayer. And in the process, we hope that it will also, of course, uh, be instructional uh, and inspirational to the young parents themselves to make them appreciate the responsibility they have to raise their children in the practice of the faith. Because when you bring a child for baptism, that is the promise you're making, to raise them in the practice uh, of the faith. Especially with prayer, children have a special sensitivity, I think, to things religious, to things spiritual. This has been brought up many times. And you know how Jesus himself said, let the children come to me, for of such are the kingdom of God. So we, we it's not about being childish, but being childlike. And uh, I think that's an, a very important element. I certainly can't remember my own relationship to my parents when I was so very, very young. But I remember when my brother was still an infant, my mother would, would take his hand and make the sign of the cross with his hand and pray the Lord's Prayer with him. He wasn't even able to speak. This was even prior to him being able to speak. But in this way, prayer was something they, they, we were very accustomed to doing from a very, very young age. Yes, it's about not only attendance at Mass and the sacraments, but it's about devotional life. You know, it used to be that Catholic homes had... A, a picture of our Lord or the Blessed mm-hmm. Virgin in their homes, uh, and they would, you know, do things uh, that were devotional. Uh, and now, of course, that has largely disappeared for many, many, many people who are baptized Catholic. And so we have to try to instill that again, a sense of this presence in our lives and the, being part of this Catholic community of Catholic culture, Catholic faith. Let's take a look at our gospel reading on this fifth Sunday of Easter. Today's gospel is taken from the 14th chapter of John's gospel. So here's the gospel account as it is dramatically presented, and then we'll find out from you, Archbishop, what it means for you and what it should mean for us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Henceforth, You know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we shall be satisfied. (sighs) Have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? 
He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. What are your thoughts, Archbishop, as we hear this amazing gospel account? Well, as we move further and further into the Easter season and closer to Ascension and Pentecost, the Gospels for Sunday Mass are Christ's words, or the risen Christ's words to his disciples as he is preparing to ascend into heaven. Because in those days, those 40 days that he was with them after the resurrection, uh, you know, th that's a very important thing that, that Christ imagined, the, imagined the risen Christ being forming his uh, apostles in this faith uh, and in, in, in what their mission will be into the world and, and encouraging and strengthening them for it. Um, and so it's about faith in him. You know, Jesus says, I'm going now to the Father. But... Uh, you, you know, you have to, uh, the words I speak to you and, and all that I have done uh, are meant to, to remain with you uh, so that uh, you will understand who I am and who the Father is. And, of course, the apostles are still somewhat bewildered. They say, well, where are you going? You know, what are you going to do? You're leaving us. Uh, what, what's going to become of us? Mm -hmm. And Jesus is giving them this assurance uh, that um, if, if, if you've accepted me, then you will uh, know the Father and, and uh, you know, that, that I'm going to prepare a place for you and where I am you also will be. Uh, so these are words of assurance to the apostles so long ago and now they're words of assurance to us uh, that Jesus uh, is accompanying us, that, that we, are, we are doing his works as long as we are faithful to him. Uh, we do it by faith, though not by sight. Jesus says it all. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think every single one of us who has ever been called a worrywart should have these words tattooed on our brains. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith also in me. This gospel is, is also one of the most popular at funeral masses as well, Archbishop, for that reason, I think. Huh? Yes. How many people today really uh, accept uh, the fact that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life? Uh, I mean, if we, in today's world of relativism and of faithlessness about so many things, this, this becomes the great challenge, uh, the great question that uh, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? He asked St. Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you because this has been revealed to you by my Heavenly Father, this gift of faith. Well, for us too, Jesus is, says, who do you say that I am? And uh, we know the answer he, he revealed to us, that he is the way and the truth and the life. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is no other than that. And yet so many people today in our confused uh, world, materialistic world, you know, they, they're looking for happiness. They're looking for life. They're looking even sometimes for God, but in all the wrong places. Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. Does that suggest that there's room for all of us and all likes of us? Well, of course, every human being was created in the image and likeness of God and meant to uh, 
you know, have to live eternally. Uh, the, the, the four last things are for everybody in the world, death, judgment, heaven, or hell. And uh, so uh, uh, there's always plenty of room in heaven. There's, it's not a question of room. It's, it's about God. He also says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones than these because I'm going to the Father. What are the works that, that Jesus is talking about? Well, I think the works uh, that he did, we know, the, the, the signs that he performed, the bringing people to faith. And, of course, the greatest work was the work of uh, uh, redemption uh, through the uh, passion, death, and resurrection. And uh, Jesus is saying that uh, in, in, in the world, we, we bring uh, the, those uh, uh, truths, we bring those graces, we bring that paschal mystery uh, into the world uh, until the end of time. I mean, every time you and I say Mass— we are bringing the uh, death and resurrection of Christ uh, into uh, the, unto the altar. It is a present reality uh, until the end of time, and it's multiplied uh, throughout the world, uh, through the ages. Let's look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Allie from Meriden says, I am in a serious relationship with a non-denominational man. Do you have any suggestions on reading material or prayers that could help the two of us learn to worship together? Well, I mm. suppose, Ali, that um, the New Testament would be a good uh, starting point and something like the Our Father. I think uh, when you say non-denominational, I, I don't know if you mean someone who uh, purports to be a Christian but doesn't belong to a church or if you're talking about somebody that has no religion or somebody of a different uh, religion. But uh, so you'd have to see. But um, uh, to, to you say to learn to worship together, I think uh, the the starting point is is always uh, the gospel. To, uh, to start with the gospel. Chris from Bloomfield says, "I know that it is part of canon law that we must fast for one hour before receiving Holy Communion. I've also heard of the idea of not eating anything for fifteen minutes after receiving Holy Communion. Is this second item also part of canon law?" Or is it an optional devotional practice? Well, Chris, I have to say I've never heard of it. I mean, usually the Mass, the rest of the Mass takes 15 minutes before before you'd be really in a position to eat anything. I don't know of any such custom or practice or rule, uh, but um, be that as it may. It's not like you're running out of church to eat a candy bar quickly or something like that. I don't know. Rich from Middlebury says, Why would someone pray the rosary during Eucharistic adoration? The rosary asks Mary to intercede, but during adoration, isn't Christ right there? Well, yes, Rich, but you have to remember, the rosary is uh, a prayer that also involves meditation on the mysteries of the rosary. Uh, the joyful, uh, uh, mystery, and then the mysteries of light, the sorrowful, and the glorious. And those are mysteries not just about the Blessed Virgin, but they're the mysteries of, of Christ. So if you're saying the rosary... Uh, the glorious mysteries is the resurrection, the ascension, Pentecost, and then uh, the assumption and crowning of Mary. So it's not impossible to, to see that how you, you might pray the rosary in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament as well. And, uh, you know, there are any other number of meditations that, that you can make uh, in, in the presence of the Eucharist. Ellen from Southington says, Since the closing of my church, I've been struggling to find a new church parish that I feel welcomed and comfortable in. As such, my donations have decreased, and I'm second-guessing contributing to the Archbishop's annual appeal at the same level as last year or at all. 
Am I the only one feeling this way? Have you received any feedback from other disgruntled, displaced Catholics facing the same issue? Well, occasionally I do from uh, some individual here and there. But I must say that, um, you know, that is discouraging to me as well, not because it's the Archbishop's annual appeal uh, that's called into question by somebody who's disgruntled or dissatisfied. But what uh, makes me the most sorrowful is for people who just don't get it when it comes to the fact that the uh, way the church was organized here 100 years ago or 50 years ago simply no longer responds to reality in many cases, and that it's simply impossible to sustain uh, parishes as they were long ago when so much has changed, and not just in the number of priests, but the number of people practicing the faith. That, you know, our faith cannot just be tied to one particular building or place. And it's sad because, you know, over the years, people have had no qualms at all about abandoning their parish if they went to move to a new house that they wanted someplace. Mm Uh, but when the when the parish uh, uh, has to change because of severe demographic uh, uh, questions and practices of faith, then people want to cling to something that that no longer is the same. So I mean, I'm sympathetic. You know, the parish I grew up in in Detroit was a very flourishing place with a huge school and everything and a beautiful church. And now that that whole area of the city is so changed that that it, that world is gone. Now, there's nothing, I don't think, quite that drastic in the Archdiocese of Hartford, except in a few places. But we have to do pastoral planning. And I realize that, I I find it hard to believe that in a day when people travel everywhere to go shopping, to go to all kinds of events, etc., that if they really feel that they need to, to find a parish that they can't find some place that where they feel comfortable and and at home. Obviously, pride of place goes to their local community and to where they were, and it would be my hope and prayer that they would work with uh, their fellow parishioners in a new configuration and with their priest. But you know, people—it's remarkable to me that in a world that where people are living with change, constantly being thrust upon them, and that has nothing to do with the church, that uh, they. Uh, that when it comes to the faith community and such, some few people find it very, very uh, difficult to to make the adjustment. And my heart goes out to them, but I can only say that there's nothing as Archbishop I can do to preserve what once was but is now so radically changed. It would be irresponsible not to try to to, uh, engage in the pastoral planning that we're we're in in order to, to respond to the realities of today. And you understand we're not the only archdiocese or diocese doing this. This is happening in many places, especially in uh, New England uh, and the Midwest. But uh, all I can say to Ellen is I would pray for you and hope that you uh, wouldn't remain disgruntled, uh, you know, as you describe yourself. Uh, maybe the old saying, better to uh, light a candle than curse the darkness, might be a good uh, advice to give you. And as far as, you know, uh, contributing the Archbishop's Annual Appeal, you're not hurting me personally. I mean, the money doesn't go to me. It has my name on it. But all those wonderful charities, including in your own uh, area of Southington, they're the ones that might not get the same amount of care or help. I suppose you could say you couldn't give it to them directly. Well, if that's what you want to do. But I, I think as a family of faith, when we all contribute together, we're, then we're doing it in the name of, of Christ, in the name of the church, in the name of uh, uh, the obligation we have as believers and giving a witness in the world. So I'm going, your question has prompted a long answer on my part, but I, 
you know, I understand that uh, change is hard, and I understand that uh, people have to struggle sometimes, but I hope that their faith and their commitment uh, to Christ, above all, in his church, is stronger than any temptation they may have to kind of just go their own way. In saying that change is hard, change is hard for most of us, but frequently we find ourselves when we've pushed through and we've made the change, sometimes things work out much better than we had anticipated, and we're in a better position with a new community of faith than we were in the past. Oh, thank you for adding that, because I meant to say that I have found many situations in the diocese where pastoral planning is going very well, where people... So thank you for reminding me of this. This is not some dark cloud hanging over the whole archdiocese. There are many places where pastoral planning has it, people are responding very happily and well, and and good things are are, are occurring. So it's not uh, this is certainly not about gloom and doom. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, to live is to change, and to be perfect is to have changed often, as uh, Saint John Henry Newman was fond of of saying. And in a world of change in, uh, in which we live today. Uh, we look to that which remains forever, and that is you, O Lord, who in your sacred humanity and divinity have become one of us in all things but sin and are now reigning forever, Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray that in the brief span that you give us in this life, which is but a twinkling of the eye, that you will help us to hold fast to you in all things and to give glory to our Heavenly Father uh, through a life of faith, hope, and love. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We wish you a very pleasant week and look forward to a return next Sunday. Thank you.